Welcome to the Forger Podcast, where I talk with cottage food entrepreneurs about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I'm talking with Tracy Mancuso. Tracy lives near Medford, Oregon, and sells custom cakes with her bakery, Sugar Rush. Now, Oregon has two different laws for people who want to sell their homemade food, and Tracy has actually used both of them to grow her cake business over the past decade. For many years, she used her business partner's domestic kitchen, which was licensed and inspected by the Ag Department. And then when her business partner left the business in 2019, Tracy started using Oregon's more basic cottage food law from her own kitchen. Tracy made her first custom cake for her daughter's second birthday back in 2010, and as she says, it's been a wild and crazy ride since then. When she merged forces with her business partner back in 2013, their business quickly exploded with tons of wedding cake orders, and they had a hard time keeping up. And to this day, Tracy's business continues to grow far beyond what she ever dreamed of. All the more impressive, Tracy has managed to grow this business while raising two young kids, one of whom has special needs. I was definitely inspired by her story, and I'm sure you will be as well. And with that, let's jump right into this episode. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Nice to have you here. Hi, nice to be here. Tracy, can you take us back to the beginning of this journey? How did this all get started? This actually started with my daughter's second birthday. So it was this time of year. It was 2010. And I had been watching a lot of Cake Boss. And I wanted to make something fantastic for her birthday. And I picked out a design online and just started going. We had a local cake store in the area and I got a lot of advice from them and some ingredients and made a three-tier cake, my first cake I've ever made. And um, it came out pretty good for a beginner cake. And everybody at the party loved it so much that they started asking me if I could do their kids' parties. So I've just did a little bit for friends and family. And then another friend asked if I could start doing cake pops. And I started mainly doing those for the next couple years, just dabbling in cake pops, a little bit of cakes and not really too serious because I had another job and I had little kids and it just spurred on from there. So uh, I can relate to that because my son actually turned two this year and I did my first cake (laughs) for Uh him. (laughs) And it turned out pretty well, but I don't know if I'll be making a business out of it. Let's put it that way. So. Right. Yeah, we were surprised at the amount of mess that it took. And I think her cake, we were up, my husband and I were up until the midnight, two or three in the morning working on it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So you have two kids, right? Yes. And was this your oldest? This was my, this was my youngest. Oh, okay. And so how how old is your other one? He would have been four. So you're kind of kicking off this uh, side business hobby. You didn't know it at the time, but it was when your kids were very young. Yes. So when did the business really start to take off? In 2012, I actually started working with another person and we started the Sugar Rush business together. Before then, we both had our separate businesses. She worked at the cake store and we got together and said, you know, we really want to both start doing wedding cakes, but we don't want to do it alone. So we said, well, let's let's join our forces and do this full time. And we both quit our day jobs and went for that from there. 
Why did you decide to uh, join forces with her? I mean, um, did you just feel like you'd be more successful together? Were you best friends or something? I mean, what what caused you to merge together? It was something where we knew we could take with our skills that we could take what we had forward, but we needed the support of each other to go forward. You know, we're both on uncharted territory. And my reasoning for doing a business from home was because I couldn't afford daycare anymore. I was working part-time at the county and sending the kids to daycare and then they would have after-school care. And I thought, you know, I could skip all of that if I was home with them. It's kind of funny because in 2012 in May, I ended up getting fired. I had a temporary position. I got fired from it. And I called my husband. I'm like, well, I'm baking full time. It's a sign. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, oh, yes, this is happening. I'm not doing daycare anymore. We're done. <laughs> and it, it worked. I mean, when I know, I know. So it seemed to work out really well that way. I did see somewhere where you posted that one of your children has autism. And I mean, that's more difficult. And it's just kind of amazing to me that you're able to build up a business with these two kids, not only being young, but one with special needs. Yeah. And his was part of the reason because school was so overwhelming for him that sending him from school to daycare was nearly impossible. So we started having, when he started kindergarten and then into first grade, we started having a lot of behavioral issues with him and his a lot of melt, meltdowns and stuff. So it really was, for me, the only choice to be home with them. But if I wanted to stay busy and not just be a stay-at-home mom, which would make me bored, <laughs> I, got, I need to stay busy, um, that I would continue this from home and then be his support system. And it's continued like that. He's in high school now. And he continues to have a lot of emotional needs. I'm constantly, just this morning, I'm interacting with his teachers and trying to figure out his schoolwork and how to motivate him. So it's been a constant battle. But he knows that when he's done with school, he can come home and relax and he's home with mom. And they know that I work weird hours. So sometimes when they come home, I'll be working and they're fine with that. But I think just having that security to know that he can come home and he doesn't have to worry about fending for himself or having another person watch him. It's really helped with his development and his success. Well, it is commendable and quite impressive that you've been able to uh, even be able to focus on a business. Uh, and not only that, but do so well with it. I mean, I've seen it's grown to, you know, you have thousands of Facebook followers now. And um, is the business partner still involved with the business? Nope. Her, she had some life changes and it became mine in 2019. And so I've been running it on my own since January, 2019. And I actually, having all the experience from the past, it has not been a struggle to go on it alone. It's actually been really nice. I rebranded a little bit and I'm able to focus on more of my vision for where I want my business to go. So it's it's been a good uh, transition. So I know that you started your business under the name Delicious Delights in 2010. And then when you merged uh, with your business partner, you went under the name Sugar Rush in 2013. And I was just wondering, where did the name Sugar Rush come from? I remember we were headed out of 
my husband and I were headed out of town for Thanksgiving and uh, we're like, what are we going to name this business? And that's when Wreck-It Ralph came out and I didn't know anything about the movie and there was an ad for it on my friend's TV and Sugar Rush came across the screen. I'm like, that's it. That's the name, Sugar Rush. Because <laughs> we deal with sugar and we um, we're rushing a lot. But we were setting up for our big debut in 2012 and it all came together. Our first wedding show in 2013, so that was January. And we got a booth on the upstairs level. So it's kind of where, you know, the cheap booths were. We're just starting out. But we did a an entire themed display with cakes and cake pops and cookies. And it was in candy and it was beautiful. It was teal and black and white. So it was very striking. And we had such a huge response. We had no idea. People were going downstairs and telling more people to go upstairs and check out that cake place. We had a huge response right away. And the the learning curve was steep because we were popular. Um, I think we got like 40 weddings that season, which to people who hadn't done weddings before, it was a shock. So we had to figure a lot of things out really quickly. And uh, it was fun. It was really inspiring to be able to get that amount of attention. For sure, we tweaked our business the years after learning, you know, you learn as you go, but it was a big hit. Wow. So I can imagine there were some pretty serious growing pains there. There were. That quickly. <laughs> yes, there were a lot. <laughs> Are there any specific stories you can remember from that year that, you know, stand out to you or, or things that you learned? I'm trying. That was a long time ago. The only thing I remember is that we had a discounted deposit if you booked for us booked us for a wedding at the show and one lady booked and then a couple weeks later she wanted we it was non-refundable and uh, a couple weeks later she wanted to cancel with us and um, we said we we have to stick to our word here we said you can't cancel so we're gonna take your money and that was our first disagreement with a customer and (laughs) anytime you fight with somebody it's uncomfortable but you know we've we've started to learn that you have to you have to stick to your rules. There's a balance between that and then being reasonable and nice with people. But that was one of the things we had to learn in that first year is that you can't make everybody happy. Did it feel like you were firmly planting your foot into the business realm? Like you're you're now a business owner, not just a hobby baker? Definitely. Yes, we had to get serious. You know, there's a pressure that You've got orders. You have to fill them. You can't cancel. If one of you's sick, the other one has to make up for that. And you got to be on time when you deliver or early. You have to, that whole concept of customer service really played an important part and continued to play an important part because we were trying, you know, for the first three or four years, we're trying to grow our business and we're trying to figure out what grows it. We tried doing ads with local papers and publications. We tried paying for for advertisement. That didn't work. You know, we finally learned over time that what worked the best was having a good reputation. And when the friend at a party, everybody likes the cake, then they recommend it to everybody else. And then they come to you and word of mouth was our most, you know, as our most valuable tool. And were you working at this time, doing anything else, or is this your full-time thing? Full-time, that and the kids. 
But that's a lot. <laughs> that, it was a lot. <laughs> it still is a lot. <laughs> now, I imagine you were doing this from home. And were you aware of cottage food laws at the time? Or what, what were you learning in that realm? Yes, we were. We actually had a certified kitchen. Her kitchen was certified. And yeah, we worked at her house. So now, now that it's my business, once it became just me, I started working under the Cottage Food Act. So in 2012, when you're kicking your new business off with your business partner, you set up this booth or, or this, I don't know if it was a wedding show, cake show, something like that. But how did you even know to get into that or to try that out? <laughs> I think we knew that wedding shows happened in January. Oh, I think I know why. Because she, my old business partner, used to work for a cake shop. And the owner of that cake shop would do this wedding show. So she had had a little bit of experience with the show before. Okay. So it was really helpful to have this business partner with the experience of working at a cake shop. And I mean, I think people have different opinions about this. You know, you obviously built up your business with someone else. Is that something you recommend? Or um, I know you say you like working on your own now, but do you feel like it would be helpful for most people to get a business partner when they're starting their business? It really helped me. She had a lot of decorating experience. Um, she'd been decorating since she was in high school, I think. So she had about 10 years experience already. If not a business partner, I would recommend like somebody as a mentor. I have someone right now who owns a cake shop in Jacksonville, which is close to us. And she, I bounce ideas off of her a lot for techniques and stuff. I do a lot of internet research, but just with that confidence, it really helps to have somebody that understands different techniques that's worked with these things before. So maybe it's not necessary to have a business partner, but somebody that you can bounce ideas off of. Well, let's just say hypothetically that you didn't find this business partner and you went on your own. I know you started your business on your own. You just kept going that way. Where do you think your business would be today? I think I would have been able to pick up a lot off of YouTube videos, which is how I learn a lot of my techniques anyway. So I do believe that it still would have grown. When we were working together, my strength was the baking and the recipes, and her strength was the decorating. So I actually didn't have a lot of experience when I took over on my own, but I picked up on it really fast. So I think I would have been able to pick up on it. It just, it's helpful to have someone say, oh, I've done this before and this, this works if you do this, or this is why we don't do this. That kind of thing really does help. I did see from your website that you take a lot of pride in your recipes and it looks like your customers, uh, you know, give you high praise for the cake itself. And uh, I was just wondering, you know, what, what did you do to learn how to make your cakes not only look good, but taste great as well? A lot of experimenting. <laughs> the first two years from 2010 to 2012, I researched recipes like crazy and then finally hit on one that worked perfect and I can modify. It's just a base for the white cake and then I can modify from there and I've just branched out. Now I get a lot of recipes. I follow a group on Facebook that's uh, US-based and they're all very easy to communicate with and they have a lot of different ideas so I 
I can pull flavor ideas, decoration ideas from them too. But that first two years, I nailed down my filling recipes and my cake recipe and have stuck with it right from the start. Which Facebook group was that? I think it's called We Are Home Business Bakers. Just a private group. I've been on a few before and these guys were just, it's the best group I've run into. So I can ask a question and within minutes they've answered it because they're up all hours of the night too. But yeah, it's been, that's been very encouraging. Well, I'll definitely link to them in the show notes. And what kind of flavors do you offer for your cakes and your frostings? I will do just about anything. My most popular ones for birthday parties, I would say are French vanilla or white almond. Most people like either strawberry cream or strawberry and then the raspberry fillings to die for. Then people like chocolate. But if you go on to like the gourmet flavors, peanut butter cake is really good. I make a bourbon cake. I just made that a couple weeks ago. Oh my, a champagne or pink champagne, a mint cake, mint chocolate. Oh, and the snickerdoodle is really good too. And I know that you, you know, do weddings, but you also just mentioned you do birthday cakes. Is it split 50-50? Are you just like locked into wedding cakes during the wedding season? Um, What do you typically focus on? It depends on when you book me. (laughs) If you book me six months in advance for a June birthday cake, I will do that for you. Wedding season, it's weird. There's certain dates I know I'm going to be booked with it, like the last week in June. I'm always booked. I'm already booked that week. Then in September, it starts getting really heavy around Labor Day and the first two weekends of September. And then the first two weekends of October get really busy with weddings. And then other than that, it's just kind of hit and miss. But the beginning of June is graduations. And that is an interesting time because people don't book until maybe a week or two before. And so we we hit a log jam with all the orders coming in. (laughs) And do you do anything with, um, do you have any policies in your contract to try to alleviate some of the problems that come up with that? I mean, what have you learned over time and what have you added to your contract? Not really. I honestly, if people ask when they should order by, I'll let them know, you know, this is how it's going right now, but by this time it's going to probably be around, you know, a little busier. So I recommend booking a month out. But in general, if I can fit you in, I'll fit you in. I often overbook to my standards to fit people in because I have a desire to help everybody. (laughs) I hate saying no. (laughs) Do you feel like you overcommit sometimes? Oh, definitely. I'll look at my husband and say, you will have no idea what I've done this week. (laughs) And he'll say, how many did you take? (laughs) Oh, 20. (laughs) Wow. So... What I mean, what gives in that? Is it getting less sleep or <laughs> something's got to give? Getting less sleep. It's just going, going, going. I think last August, I was pulling 16 hour days. It was a lot. Yeah. And last August, if you're pulling 16 hour days, I'm sure you were a lot more uh, capable of a baker <laughs> yes. than you were 10 years ago. So you're probably pumping out even more. Yes. It's yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm surprised at how quickly I can get, you know, the amount of what I can get done. Sometimes I think, whoa, that, you know, I actually got ahead of schedule. So it's definitely experience pays off. Have you thought about bumping up your pricing to kind of curb the demand a bit? 
you know, I try to keep it reasonable for our area. I consider it on the higher end, but people know that it's worth getting what they get. What's been my struggle has been food prices have gone up so high and fondant prices, material prices, everything's gone up so high in the last two years, but really this year that I struggle with how do you raise it when you're, you know, your customers are already being pinched by the same thing you're being pinched by. So that, that is hard. I do tend to go up five or so dollars a year because for my birthday cakes, I do just a base price. So I tend to bump that up a little bit because of inflation. But right now I'm, I don't know. It's been hard. What's your pricing at right now? For an eight inch cake, a simple one, it would be 85. And my smallest two tier, just the basic would start at 145. And then it just goes up from there. Fondant's been adding quite a bit because of how expensive fondant is right now. My minimum is 65, but if it's a simple one, sometimes I quote under. And then if people order multiples, you know, a big order, I'll cut off a little bit just to make it work for them or throw in figures or extra things that, yeah, it's a hard thing to judge because for me, I'm like, well, it's not that hard, 10 more minutes to do this. But then I think, well, I put a lot of fondant into that and there is work, so I should charge for it, but then it makes it really expensive. So it can be hard for me to judge what is fair to me and to the customer when I think a lot of times I'm undercharging. How has your pricing changed over the last 10 years? Like I said, the price for, well, everything. I do, do per serving for wedding cakes. And I think it used to be at $4 a serving for buttercream. I'm up to four seventy five, And then fondant, I think it was four fifty for the past so many, five years or so. And I've got it up to almost $5 a serving now, just because it's so much, it costs so much more to get it. So you don't feel like you fell into that category of people who started pricing way too low? I don't think so. We struggle with that because when we started, there were a couple other cake people that started along with us. And one of them, they're all out of business now, but one of them refused to ever raise her prices. And she got a lot of business, but we would always, I've learned over the years not to compare myself, but in the early years, we're looking around, seeing who we're competing with, and we could never figure out how she survived. And then there was a cake shop, and her prices were similar. It was just very low. And we rose ours to what we believe, you know, would get us a profit, but also pay for our materials. And um, I think our customers know that it's worth what they're getting. Not only are they getting a quality product that tastes amazing, but they're getting good customer service. So if we're, I think people pay more if you're easy to work with and uh, they're getting a positive experience versus cheap and maybe not as good of an experience. Do you think that this is another instance where having a business partner helped you out, you know, because you kind of knew what the market was charging? That was something we were always bouncing around. We would try to figure out, you know, where's that sweet spot? That was more of a challenge for both of us to figure out where I am now. I feel like my prices are really, they're in a good place, which is why I don't want to raise them too much, too high on my customers. But I will have customers order a big cake and then 
out on cupcakes and cake pots. And I keep thinking I could never afford that, but to them, it's worth it. I mean, if you're going to throw in $300 to a venue and have a party, why not just have it, you know, like at home and get really good treats. And I think a lot of my regulars, they know the value of that. What are your policies on delivery or pickup? Do you deliver? What do you charge? Do you only deliver? Do you let people pick up? I do both. Most or celebration orders that aren't weddings get picked up. And then for weddings, I offer delivery. It starts at $50 in town, and then it goes up depending on where you're located. And a few times a year, I head to the coast, and that's usually an overnight trip for me because it's it's a ways out for the cake. And if they don't have refrigeration, I like to bring it the day before, let it set up in the fridge, then deliver it to their venue the next day. So I had one in September where she did not have refrigeration. So I came the day ahead and we stayed at an Airbnb and then took it over the next day. And it worked out really well. The in-town ones, they, some of them, our venues are over an hour out. So those can be those can be a challenge. Or if you order something that's over a three-tier cake, I don't deliver it stacked. So I have to bring it to them. And they're pretty good about that. I mean, a lot of people will even have me bring cupcakes out just because they don't have to worry about transporting it. And I totally get that stressful. But for pickups, uh, people come to, we set up a pickup time and they come and get them. Most events are on Saturday. So they'd come get them Friday or Saturday morning. That's been a struggle because people don't show up on time. I've been trying to brainstorm how to get them to commit to picking up on time and not five hours late. <laughs> you just charge a dollar per minute that they're late and then... <laughs> oh, I so feel like it. <laughs> so have you had any um, delivery disasters? Have you had any memorable stories or, or pickup problems? I can't say that unless I knock on wood. Oh my goodness. No, it's not. I've not had any delivery issues. I've had issues where people picked up and they didn't take care of their cake and they lost it, but not when I deliver. My husband knows because he comes with me now. He is not allowed to drive. He just lets me do it because he knows I will stress if he drives wrong. In general, I try to arrive no later than half an hour before. I try to figure out if they need refrigeration. I am so super careful because it's so important that you know, nothing happens on my end. I have had them, people have had their cakes collapse because of heat, having it out too long. I'm not liable for that. I warn them and tell them, you know, what my policies are. But once I drop it off, they know that it's their responsibility. But as far as delivery disasters, no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> now, I know you said that you had higher end pricing, but you also, I see, have complimentary cake tastings. Why do you do that? Just to me, if I'm working on cake that week and they want to sample it, I am more than happy to make a couple little samples for them. They're not full cakes. They're just little bite-sized cups. That seems to work the best because I know if I eat a whole mini cake, I'm going to be stuffed. So yeah, I just do three samples of what I'm working on that week. And I am more than happy to just let you try it. You don't have to book. It's commitment free. So what's the process like for a client, let's say a, a wedding, a couple who wants to 
have a wedding cake, what's the process like when they're working with you, especially if they want something designed? Take me through that process. Normally, they will contact me through email. I don't have a consult space anymore. I lost that during 2020. So we are doing everything virtually, which seems to be working really well. I have them send me their ideas of design and how many they're wanting to serve. And I quote them a rough quote right there so they know what they're dealing with. And then we talk about their venue and where, you know, how much delivery is going to be. Then I offer for them to set up a time to come pick up samples. And if they have any questions at that point, they can ask me too. Uh, It's informal, but because of the COVID restrictions, it's been necessary. And I usually, if they're interested in booking, I send them with a contract and then they just send me a screenshot of that back once they filled it out. And I require a $100 non-refundable deposit to book their date. And then that goes towards the cost of their cake. And once everything is set, I send them, I can invoice them just for the deposit, or then I can invoice them for everything after they paid the deposit, however they want to handle it. They're welcome to pay through credit card. They can mail in a check. They can drop off cash. They can make payments. I'm pretty chill with all of that. And that seems to work really well. I try to be open with communication. And then when their emails come in, I tell them, you know, I've got a lot going on. If you don't hear back from me within a couple of days or it's urgent, just send that again. I will get back to you. I will make you a priority. And it has, for 99% of my clients in the last two years, that's worked very well. So I know there's a lot of different ways to do cakes and people have their own styles. What would you say is your you know, style um, that you stick to? I like the textured buttercream. I call it a wee cake. Um, years ago, the first girl that ordered that texture better came cake her last name was Weehee so my business partner and I nicknamed it the Weehee style it's just the lines on it it's really pretty it looks pretty in tiered cake with flowers that's my go-to if somebody says do what you want but now the drips are coming in they're really popular so if it's for a birthday or you know just maybe like a 21st or something elegant and people want ideas I'll send them some drip cake ideas those two are my favorite go-tos. Or I like the semi-naked too. Those are really pretty. Is there any kind of cake that a customer will come to you with and you'll turn them away? Yep. (laughs) I don't do car cakes. (laughs) Um, Somebody just asked me to do a shoe cake. I don't do shoe cakes. We used to, when I had my business partner, we used to do some pretty extravagant carved cakes. But recently, I feel like it takes so much it's just stressful to do them then I'm constantly wondering if I'm going to get the shape right or if it's going to collapse and I've just some of those I've written off I just don't do them even if my kid asks for it I'm not going to do it (laughs) but my my contact um who lives in Jacksonville who has a cake store I will recommend her for a lot of those because she's just fantastic with carved cakes yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense that you'll stick to what you're good at and the, what you enjoy doing, and you could probably be a lot more profitable that way. Yeah, I've learned over the years, it's, if I'm not confident with a design and I know it, then it's okay to say, I don't do that. Everybody has what they're good at. I've seen some amazing people who can do 3D cakes, and my kids keep saying, you can do it, and I say, I can do it, but I I'm not going to like the end result. So I'm going to do 
what brings me fulfillment and the other people can do what they do because they are amazing at it. Well, I have seen many pictures of your cakes, and um, although you don't do the sculpture cakes, your cakes are very impressive nonetheless. You certainly are very good at what you do. Um, Do you have any cakes that stand out to you over the years? Any favorite cakes? I have so many favorites. (laughs) Well, I can see you've done a lot of cake designs over the years. There's so many, and it's funny because I'll do them, and then I just forget, and I'll look through my gallery and think, holy cow, I did that. The ones I like the most are either like a themed cake that's really crisp and, you know, it's just, I executed it how I had envisioned it. But I really like the simple boho style. I did one with little cutie oranges on it. It was a semi-naked with just little streaks of orange and it was so pretty. It photographed perfectly. Those ones make me so happy. As far as like anyone in particular, it's hard unless I went through my gallery and then I'd probably say, oh, that one's my favorite. Oh, that one's my favorite. <laughs> or are there any stories that jump out to you over the past decade? You know, maybe not the cake itself, but just the story behind it. Uh, there's a couple. Um, last summer I had, they were two blue cakes and the grandma picked up the one cake for the for her daughter. And so I set it there and it had the name on it and sent her on her way and then the other customer said i'll be there in just a few minutes and i realized that the customer who was coming i had just sent that cake with the lady figured it all out the the mom came back she never questioned the name or the fact that what she had ordered was a six inch cake and the one i gave her was a two-tier cake and i said did you not did you not read the name and she's like oh i did i thought it was an inside joke and I said, but the theme is different. She's like, yeah, I couldn't understand why he was into sports because it was basketball. So it was just such a, con- it was so confusing. Everybody was confused. It got figured out. I gave it to the right person. <laughs> I told her what happened. She thought it was hilarious. And uh, sent the lady on with the small cake for her three-year-old. And it, it all worked out in the end. But those kind of confusing things, you know, they happen. And when they do happen, you just have to think through it, figure it out. And then around that same time, I had two 21st birthdays. The cakes were really similar, but one had a dozen very intricate cake pops with it. And so the first lady that picked up, I gave her the cake pops, but they weren't hers. And so she took them, a dozen cake pops, she took them and left. And then the other girls came to pick up and I was like, oh my gosh, I sent the cake pops with the wrong person. So I called her and she was almost home and I said, those weren't your cake pops. Why did you take them? And she said, I thought they were complimentary. <laughs> and she had eaten one of them. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, I always make extra. I'm like, well, that's why I make extra. So she brought them back and they, again, you know, their the right amount was there. It, it all worked out. But those are times when I just shake my head and what just happened? <laughs> oh, but when the husbands pick up, I have to like, triple check what's going out because they have no idea what they're picking up just like the grandma who picked up the wrong cake they they don't know and a lot of people you know my response with cake is this is how you handle it and it's not a big deal and people are so nervous because they don't know they've never worked with cake before they've never handled it my cakes are really heavy so they'll be like oh my gosh it's so heavy and I have to remember that they're inexperienced (laughs) 
Um, I was just thinking about the different cakes. You know, you said you do textured buttercream. It's your favorite right now. You also like naked cakes. Those, I feel like those are really trending now. Like, what have you seen over the past decades in terms of cake trends? Frozen. We went through about three years of frozen. Everybody wanted frozen cake. That was fun, but it got a little old. And now it's unicorn cakes. Those have died down a little bit. And I actually really like the unicorn cakes. I've got one this week. I think they're pretty cute. But for a while there, I was doing one weekly, at least one, maybe three people all wanted unicorn cake and the texture better cream for weddings has been a staple it's from the beginning to still now a lot of people just want texture better cream with flowers and it's beautiful it's timeless so i totally get it and then the semi-naked started coming in it used to be the naked cake which doesn't have any frosting it's just the you do the little ring of frosting set the cake on it and I don't like that one as much. It doesn't have any frosting on it. But I really like the semi-naked with flowers and succulents. And it's simple and it's elegant. Speaking of trends, I've also noticed that you offer gluten-free, sugar-free. How do you adapt your recipe to uh, be gluten-free? That one is, I do have to let everybody know that, you know, I work in a kitchen that does have gluten, but I'll explain my process to you. And they're usually pretty cool with it. Or same thing with tree nut allergies. Those are really hard. But with gluten-free, I make sure that's the first thing I work on. Everything is clean. Everything's sanitized. And then I pay a lot of attention to, you know, where it's going, how it's handled. It's properly labeled, you know, when it's put away, not touching anything else. The frosting that I use for gluten-free cake can't be mixed with a different frost. You know, if I've worked on a gluten cake and I had some frosting left over. I can't use that same frosting. The piping bag has to be sanitized. Everything has to be like completely separated. And it's the same with nut allergies. I'm actually, I have some terrible allergies, some food allergies. And so when I'm working with any kind of cake that has nuts and up until recently uh, certain fruits, I have to be super careful even touching them. So I tell people, you know, I understand you have a peanut allergy or your son has a peanut allergy. I do too. So I know how to handle it and not get sick because I can't handle it either. So I, I did want to ask, you know, I know you've gotten so successful with your business and it's grown a lot. You have thousands of followers on Facebook. I noticed that you don't have as many on Instagram and I didn't know if you did more of a focus on Facebook or how how have you um, tackled the social media front? Facebook was what we started when Sugar Rush started. I was Delicious Designs and she was Mama Cake. So we blended our clients on there and sent them to Sugar Rush. I started Instagram in 2019, my own. And that has grown just in the last couple of years. And what I did with Instagram, I only follow local businesses. So I thought, let's see how this works. If I, you know, I see a roofing company and it's in Southern Oregon, I'll follow it. And then they'll follow me back. But then other people on their page follow me. So it's been really successful just having the audience, a local audience. And I've gotten a lot of orders through Instagram. Sometimes I think it's probably about 40% of my orders are coming in through Instagram. 
So I think that's been a wise focus to just look at local businesses and follow them. And yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, are there any other ways that you try to grow your business? I mean, you're doing social media, but do you work with cake boutiques that are local or any other ways that you try to actively market yourself? I've done like photo, they do those glam photo shoots or they'll set up a pretend wedding and you know, a bunch of vendors will get together and do a shoot. I've done those before in the last couple of years, not as many. 2020 was a weird year for that because people couldn't really get together. So those slowed down, but I did just get invited to do a giveaway at the wedding show for a complete one bride to win a bridal shower. And so I was going to do the cake for that. Those I found help in the, like the people who work in the industry. It helps build the reputation, which in turn helps them recommend high-end clients for weddings. So there's building a client base with your customers and there's building a reputation with the other wedding vendors. Both are equally as important because there's some good, really high-end venues that I want to do, you know, be recommended first for wedding cakes. And in a couple of venues that's happened. You said that you were invited to the most recent one. I mean, if you're starting out, how do you find opportunities like this to participate in photo shoots? My theory with the Instagram thing seems to be working. If somebody was just starting out, they had a decent portfolio, I would recommend getting, just finding any groups that have your wedding vendors where they communicate with each other or get a hold of photographers on Instagram, get people to like your, um, your content. And then people like to see, like the vendors like to see simple cupcakes or just really interesting shots of your work. And then as they try, and this has happened with me, I've had so many vendors say, I've had your cake at weddings. That's amazing. There's times when I've just brought treats to different people, like drop off cards to different venues and, you know, bring some cupcakes with me or bring cupcakes to the vet's office or to my doctor's office just to kind of get the word out there. And there's always somebody that's involved in, you know, they, I, my, my cousin does photography or this or that. And it just slowly builds your reputation build. And I'm finding that people who work in the wedding industry, they want somebody who's, you know, they want to work with somebody who is easy to work with, who brands themselves well, who has a good product. And it just kind of grows from there. The more connections that I've made, my reputation in the community, the vendor community has been positive. It's grown. And I'm amazed at, you know, some of the offers I get. I mean, like this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm like a, just kind of a quiet nobody. And these things have found me and it's an honor. I, I don't appreciate any of this with a, I did this attitude. It's just to me, it's just a quiet honor to be able to do the journey of life, doing something I love. I was uh, looking on your social media and I noticed that you don't post much about yourself personally. I, I don't see pictures of yourself or personal stories. And um, you know, I was wondering if that was intentional. Would you say that you tend to fall on the introverted end of the spectrum? Extreme introvert. 
Yeah. Usually I recommend to entrepreneurs to put yourself out there. I'm an introvert and, you know, it's something I've had to learn is, you know, got to put myself out there because people would much rather follow a person than follow a brand. And I know you haven't done that. You haven't put yourself out there on social media. Do you feel like that has held your business back at all? I don't know. The the rate at which it's grown, I can barely hold on to it right now. So it's grown for the right amount for me. If it were to go explode anymore, I couldn't handle it. I'd need to get an intern. And it's all about those personal relationships. I have a girl, she orders for me all the time, and she lost, she had a stillborn. She always orders a birthday cake for her little stillborn. And um, I just talked to her last night and she was telling me that, you know, she's been having a really hard year and I just reached out to her, you know, if you need anything, let me know. And I'm sorry. And are you okay? And it's that kind of personal touch. I think my regulars, they feel that. They know that when they talk to me, I am really honestly there to make things joyful for them. So bringing those personal, just having those personal friendships or relationships with my client has helped them confidently tell their friends, she's worth the money. You should go with her. So where are you planning on taking this or where where do you plan on going with this business into the future? That's a really good question. Um, I am working off of older appliances in a small, dark kitchen. And it is time for an upgrade. So the plan has been for the last year to refinance and pull out the money to add on to our home. And the plan is to get all new appliances, really separate my workspace from my home space. Right now, home life clashes a lot with business life. And it's just, it's stressful, especially the more I grow. And I have the potential to grow a lot further but I have to keep it, you know, I have to keep it under a certain amount because of the Cottage Food Act. But when I am able to certify my kitchen, the possibilities are endless. My orders normally stop mid-October for the until January and they pick up into January. I'm booking right now. I'm booked for December. That's never happened before. And I'm booking into January right now. So the amount of growth and the demand. I've never had a demand like this before. It's crazy. If anything, I always say work smarter, not harder. So if it would be possible to up my weddings, which hopefully when wedding sizes get bigger, that can happen, um, to focus primarily on weddings in the summers when during wedding season and then go back to the birthday, that would be the focus. But as it is right now, I'm just riding this roller coaster. <laughs> my kids, uh, my son's a ninth grader, my daughter's a seventh grader. So we have a few more years where I would want to be home with them. So that would definitely be part of the focus. My other pull is to work in the schools. So if something were to happen with the cake business, just tanking or just losing the desire to do it, I would definitely pursue work in education. But as it is right now, I always come back if even if I've had a hard week and I'm tired and I just need a break, do I still love it? I still love it. I love it with a passion. I love the people. I love the the designing. I love creating. I love baking. I still have a passion for it. So I don't see it ending anytime soon. Why do you feel like you love it so much? 
I, th- I create, I'm a creator always since I was a little kid, making things with paper and going out and designing and creating. And this really gets that creative bug going. But I also really love being able to bring to people a little bit of joy. That's really important to me. A lot of times if a client is upset, they think that I'm just wanting money or whatever. It's absolutely not my motivation. My motivation's always been just to bring a little bit of joy. And right now we all need that. Well, Tracy, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. If people want to reach out to you or um, learn a little more about you, where can they find you? My website is sugarishbakery.me, M-E. And then I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. All of that is on my website. And then my um, I'm always reachable through email or any of the other direct messaging on the other platforms. Great. I will put a link to the website and the social media into the show notes. But again, I loved hearing your story and thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. That wraps up another episode of the Forger podcast. My next episode is actually episode 50 and I'm doing something special for it. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Now, for more information about this episode, go to forger.com slash podcast slash 49. And if you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. A review is the best way to support the show and will help others find it as well. And finally, if you're thinking about selling your own homemade food, check out my free mini course where I walk you through the steps you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in episode 50.